Well, guys, we're right now, we're, we're in the middle of a series. We're almost uh, about halfway through. Actually, we're halfway through today. It's a series called Hidden Figures. And Hidden Figures is this theme where we are looking at six women in particular, the story of six different women in the Bible, four in the Old Testament, two in the New, that sometimes their story gets hidden or buried in a greater narrative. You know, maybe it's that they play a small part, a supporting role, and then, you know, it's, it's easy to either ignore them or it's very easy to misunderstand them. And you see them take certain actions and you're like, wait, uh, who are they? And so there's some that maybe get a certain reputation that they shouldn't. And so we've been talking about those six women and we've been, right now we've been talking about the four that are in the Old Testament. And something unique about these four is that they are all a part of Jesus's genealogy. In the Gospels of Matthew, which was one of Jesus' disciples, he opens up talking about the genealogies to prove that Jesus was this promised Messiah, linking him all the way to Abraham. And in there, which is interesting because when you, it's, it's like that, look, for those of you that read the Bible, and you try to read the Bible throughout the year, all right, if you don't, you don't, you, you'll get it if you know what I'm talking about. You get to the, and, that, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and you like brace yourself, right? Anyway, if you know, you know what I'm talking about. You try to read the Bible, you get to numbers, you get to certain sections, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and some other name I can't pronounce, begot some other dude, and some other one begot, and they begot, and they begot. I'm like, I'm skipping it, right? I was like, yo, some people skip it. Now, it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. But it's amazing because Matthew, normally we follow the male, the male lineage. But Matthew includes four women, only four, on purpose. In Jesus' genealogy. So we've been looking at those four. Today we are on number three. Now this one is probably one that doesn't get, that gets a lot of attention because she's actually, one of the books of the Bible is named by her. So she's not hidden, but there's a lot of truths buried in her story that maybe you might not realize. And so, but, and so we're going to see her and she's, this individual finds herself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. How many of you, what happens if you, and you all know, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, chances are you're going to do the wrong thing. All right. Anybody been there? Right. It's like the majority of the times if you've done the wrong thing, it's usually you were in the wrong place the wrong time. If you wouldn't have been in that scenario, you wouldn't have been in that circumstance. Things would have played out a little differently. And so I did that. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, did the wrong thing. And I got suspended from school my senior year twice. I had two days. And so I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've ever been suspended. Listen, it was a shocker for me on my side because I never got detention, barely. So I went from barely getting in trouble, two days OSS. How did that happen? I'll tell you. It was wrong place, wrong time, did the wrong thing. It was my senior year. Our Christian school that we went to, we would do overnight retreats. So the whole high school, which was about 100 of us, okay, so it's not that much. The whole high school would go, and we would go, my senior class was about 32. And we're out there, and it's seniors, right? We 18, we grown, right? We grown. We're adults, okay? Right, we're adults. And so we're like, you know what? It's senior year. Let's have some fun. So everybody went to bed, and everybody was quiet. We, uh, we had one of our teachers who just knocked out super quick. I'm like, oh, this is too easy. So we were like, yo, let's just sneak out. Let's have some fun. So we snuck out of our rooms. All the seniors met outside and there was a gym that was unlocked and the gym had golf carts inside. So we were like, yo, we're in the mood for a nice little uh, moonlight cruise, moonlight drive. So we went out, got in the gym, no alarm, 
Dumb on their part, okay? So we get in, we go, hop in all the golf carts. Everyone's just kind of doing donuts. Very, you know, respectful. We're adults. We're 18. You know, we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. We were outside. Dude went, took them outside. I don't know how we didn't get caught. And, we, you know, they're outside. We're inside. We're having fun. Everybody's jumping in golf carts. I jump into one golf cart. The last golf cart remaining, it didn't have a key. Mm, so I couldn't drive it. Whatever. I jumped in somebody else's car. I played basketball. We were up for about an hour. It was great. We put everything back. We left it just how we found it because we were adults. Okay. We put it back just how we found it. Made it back into our rooms. Tucked ourselves in. Ah, that was a lot of fun. Woke up the next morning to chaos because apparently the freshmen, okay, the freshmen, who think they grown, okay, right? The freshmen went out after us, and we didn't know. The freshmen went out and decided to play uh, Mario Kart, okay, with the golf carts. And so it turns out that not only were they bumping into each other, I mean, smashed the corners of the golf carts, and they, I mean, were clipping, scraping drywall from pylons and the walls. I mean, I don't know what they were doing but they just left a mess. So it was like guilty by association, because again, we were good. It wasn't our fault. It wasn't our fault. But anyone who sat a butt in a chair got suspended. I got two days. I don't know why. I was barely in one of those two, whatever. Right, so so we, we thought it was funny. We got suspended for two days for sitting riding golf carts. So me and my friends, we all went to the movies during school and watched The Legend of Bagger Vance, which is a golf movie. All right? and so we thought it was ironic to, yo, we got suspended for riding golf carts. Let's go watch a golf movie. I don't remember the movie. We just wanted to go for the sake of it. So anyways, so we did that. We watched it, came back. That's all it is. So I'm pretty sure you've, you've experienced some scenarios, wrong place, wrong time, did the wrong thing. Now, I was able to bounce back. It was only two days. So we were able to bounce back. We caught up from school, things like that. It's all good. But how many of us know and I, there's other stories in my life that it's harder. I made a wrong decision and it was harder to bounce back from. You ever had one of those? Some of you guys are, are still on the bounce up, right? And so like, I'm trying still to get back, okay? I'm bouncing back. You know? I know, that's hard. There's certain things, certain circumstances, maybe yours, maybe either everything else, that it's hard to bounce back from. And the story that we're going to read today is one of those. It was a story that it's for, for women in her time, when this happened, these circumstances happened, it was hard, almost impossible to bounce back from. And the story we're going to look at is a lady named Ruth. And so we're going to look at Ruth and her circumstances. It's a great story. I don't know if you know this, but it's a tiny one. And it's only four chapters, really quick. You can read it probably in 20 minutes or less, depending on who you are. And it is considered the crown jewel of the Old Testament. I, I just I think it's pretty cool. The reason why is because a story is actually considered in, you know, scholars consider this story a liter literary masterpiece. Okay, the book of Ruth. And it is considered the crown jewel, the way the story is played out, the way it is written, the grammar, the syntax, the development, the plot. It's great. So it's a really, really good story. And we're just going to do a quick cruise on it. I'd love for you to go back, read it this week, now that you get some context. And so now when we read Ruth, you got to understand where it's kind of tucked in. And so right before the book of Ruth is the book of Judges. Right after Ruth is this guy, 1 Samuel. Now we think that it's, a social, you know, it's thought that Samuel wrote the book of Ruth for a purpose, to tell her story. Because if you look at Judges, Judges is a rough book. Judges is people doing craziness. It is literally, you read Judges, and it's the nation spiraling out of control. That's what was happening. And at the end of it, it ends with this statement that says, and the people had no king, 
and they did whatever was right in their own eyes. If it felt right, they did it. The majority of the times, it didn't produce good results. And the nation was a disaster. And what happened was, is that here, they are, this is this time of judges. Think of it like the dark ages. You guys remember the dark ages in school? You remember that? The dark ages? This was like the dark ages for Israel. And the story of Ruth is happening during the time of the judges. Now, Samuel, the next book, is when the beginning of the kingdom, when God establishes the kingdom of Israel. And so the story of Ruth is the turning point. It was a story that was meant to teach the nation of Israel. Listen, okay? You can come back from this darkness. You can come back from all of this. God wants to do that, to take you out of darkness into light. And so judges, darkness, Samuel, the beginning of the light. And Ruth, her story, plays that pivot. It helps us to see that. And so it's really, really interesting as you see that because, again, that's for us. In her story, we're able to see how we, if we find ourselves in a dark circumstance, you know, in a situation that we don't know how to come back from, Ruth's story teaches us how we can go from darkness into light and how God can do just that. And so before we open it up, the, the, I want to say this one thing here, which is the bottom line. The truth of the story of Ruth is this. Here's the bottom line for today. Your decisions determine your destiny. Got it? Your decisions determine your destiny. Look, all y'all, the youngins, all everybody else, you know, whatever, 20 and below, understand, memorize that, get that down, because, you know, one of the biggest decisions that you make that ultimately determines your destiny is the people that you choose to be your family and your friends. Okay? Right there. Adults as well. That's for all of us. Okay? Because here, you know, family is blood. But we all got people that we consider family that's not blood, right? You know, you got those people. And you can't choose your mom, you can't choose your dad, but you can choose certain people that you can consider being family, right? You can consider, you can choose your friends. That's one right there. Those right there, decisions determine your destiny. That's one right there. But in so many circumstances, you know this to be true, your decisions determine your destiny. And this is something that we're going to see in the book of Ruth. Her decisions our decisions determine our destiny. Now, just to recap, because you gotta, if you don't understand the whole part, it's hard to understand the small part. So again, there's four chapters and it's broken up in four because there's four general themes. In the first chapter, you see Ruth's sorrow. Chapter two, you see Ruth's service. We're gonna look at chapter three, which is Ruth's surrender. And then chapter four ends up with Ruth's salvation. So let me just give you, paint you the picture. Before we introduce to Ruth, we're introduced to another woman. Say this lady. I'm pretty sure you heard somebody with this name. Say Naomi. Anybody know Naomi? All right, maybe. You've heard that name before. Naomi was a woman who was a Jew, okay? And she was married to this guy named Elimelech, okay? Well, that one's harder than the other one, but whatever. Dude, Eli. Call him Eli. Eli and Naomi. They, times are tough during the time of the judges, in fact, the, the book of Ruth opens up saying there was a famine in the land. You guys know what a famine is, right? There's no food. There's no food. It's broke. Economics, it's a depression. Recession, it's nasty. It's bad. And Elimelech and, what's her name? Naomi. They end up leaving Israel. They migrate. They refugee out to another nation in order to eat. They're from the town of Bethlehem, which I think is ironic. You know what Bethlehem means in Hebrew? The house of bread. They leave the house of bread because there was no bread in their house. It's interesting. There was nothing there. And the reason why is God said, hey, if you guys refuse to follow me, 
If you refuse to follow, there's consequences. Again, your decisions determine your destiny. There's consequences. If you do X and Y, this is going to happen. We've all done it. You've all told your kids, if you got kids, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And you might not even be punishing them. It's just consequences, right? If you speed, you're going to get pulled over, right? You know, stuff like that. And it just happens. There's consequences to everything. If you eat spicy food before going to bed, you're going to regret it in the morning. I don't know. You know, things like that. You know that it's, you're not imposing you know, a little bowel movement on the kid for doing that. It's just, it's nature. It's what happens. So the nation of Israel, God was saying, if you don't follow me, there's consequences, guys. And I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's, it's your consequence that you're going to do. So follow me, stay with me. But the, the, because there was a famine in the land, it was because there was a famine in their hearts. They didn't want anything to God. They walked away from God. They found nothing. And so they went out looking, wandering, searching for something more. Now, chapter one, the reason why it's Ruth's sorrow is here we introduce to Ruth. Naomi and Eli have two kids. One of them marries Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's not a Jew, okay? She's not a Jew. She's a Moabite. And then they marry another one named Orpah. Every time I read it, I can't think of thinking Oprah, but it's not Oprah, okay? It's not that. It's spelled differently. The R is in a different spot. Orpah, okay? Oprah sounds so much better. The other one sounds like a whale. I don't know, right? Orpah. So Orpah and Ruth. Now it gets worse for them in this family because not only does Naomi's husband die, so does their two sons. All of the male figures of the house die. Now, for those of you, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been talking about this in ancient times. If you were a woman who was a widow and had no heir, you had no sons, that was the worst situation for you because no one was going to marry someone who was not a virgin. And if you didn't have kids, no one was going to take on the burden of taking care of you because this was different. Okay. It was difficult, different times. And so this is a really hard time. So Naomi now looks at her daughters-in-law and she says to them, listen, I got to go back home. I have nothing here. I've lost everything. I might as well just go back. I'm going to go back home. And she gives them an out. She says, Orpah, you guys have no, none of you, Orpah and Ruth, you guys don't have to be with me. This is my burden to bear. Start over in your homeland because they're still in Moab. Start over, find somebody else. I got to go. Orpah chooses, she decides again, what happens? Your, your decisions do what? Determine your destiny. Look at these two destinies. Orpah decided to stay home. She's like, you know what, Naomi? I'm, all right, I'm going to take that offer. All right. She decided what was comfortable, what was familiar, what was easier. Orpah's name is never mentioned again. Her destiny was forgotten. But we remember Ruth because Ruth made a different choice. Ruth did something awkward and weird for this time. She looks at her and says to Naomi, no, I'm not going to leave you. No one, you, you don't have anybody. I'm not going to leave you behind. In fact, I'm going with you. I'm going to leave what's comfortable. I'm going to leave what's familiar. I'm going to go with you. And she makes this amazing declaration in chapter one, I think it's 16. She says, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. She probably didn't know anything about that God. She didn't know who she was, you know, getting or taking. And so like, I'm not leaving you. I'm with you until the end. Where you go, I'll go. You stay, I'm with you, right? I'm there. And that was awkward. And that was weird. And so whatever. So it moves on. So that's Ruth's sorrow. Her husband has died. They don't have kids. Their situation is bad. Then Ruth's service, chapter two, comes around. And now here, there's something that happens that we see 
that they are, as poor people, they do something that is actually, you don't see it until Leviticus. Do you know that God actually had laws to protect women and poor people in the Mosaic law? It's really great. I mean, in fact, the, we say it, I've been saying it every week, the Bible and the word of God does more to solidify and lift up the dignity of women than any other ancient document or modern day document. Anybody that has a good idea, God thought about it first, okay? And so because God created women, he values women. I love women too, I know y'all. Everybody give it up for the women real quick, anybody in the house, right? And so, they are important. And these stories are written and given. So then there were certain things that God did and he instituted in the law. And we see them in chapter two, that if you're not sure of it, you would, it'd be hard to process. So let me tell you two of them really fast. In chapter two, we see two things. We see the gleaming of the fields and we see this kingsman redeemer introduced. What happens is, is that you have, if you were poor, God made it a law and says, listen, you know, everybody was farmers back in that time. And he says, hey, the corners of your fields, you are not allowed to harvest. You have to leave the corners alone. You can harvest everything else, leave the corners. Let the poor people get up, work the corners, gather themselves. So you got to make the poor people work for it, but, let, but leave it. They don't have to plant. They don't have to take care. All they have to do is harvest. Get them and they can let that be for them. So at least the poor are provided. And so we see Ruth there. Going in for Naomi's stead. We don't know why Naomi couldn't. Maybe she was too old at this time or something was happening. But Ruth was out there working for herself and for Naomi to get enough to take care of the family. And now, by now, Ruth began to get a reputation. And I mean, we've, we've all had maybe those experiences, right? Everybody had the, you know, a, a reputation that kind of went out there that you had to, you like, oh, I don't know what that was. That's not right. You know, that's not real. We've all kind of had that. But Ruth began to get a good reputation because, wait a minute. A non-Jew wants to be a Jew, and she did what? She went with her mother? Really? That doesn't, huh. And so everybody was to, and then, well, she working out here. Look at this. And so it was interesting. And everybody, she was the talk of the town because no one is like that. No one does that. No one did that. So here we have this, and, you know, provided by God. And then there was a situation that God instituted called Kingsman Redeemer. And it was something that was an ancient tradition that God brought in, kind of cleaned up, that was eventually going to lead to something else. And the idea was, if you were a woman like Naomi, like Ruth, no male figure, you're destitute, you have no hope, the next kin, relative, closest relative, had to take you in. The kin, your kin had to take you in. They were then responsible for taking care of you, doing different things like that, and in some cases, kind of taking you on as a wife so that hopefully you can pro, you know, produce a boy and then that boy's gonna take care of you. That was kind of the circumstances. I know it's a weird law for us today, but actually, all scholars will say that was a law done in compassion. To four, it was to protect women. Now, we can come up with some better ideas today, but that's back then, okay? So that was then, it, but the principle was there. It was to care for the hurting and the destitute. And so while she was serving, someone noticed her. And we're, that's when we're introduced to this guy named Boaz. So listen, I'm telling you now, for those of you, listen, uh, we said it at the beginning today, like, what if so many, so many of us are waiting on God to do something? It's like, God, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. What if God is like, I'm waiting for you? Get up, do something. It's like God can't bless something that he doesn't have. You got to give him something to bless. You got to give him something to bless. So Ruth would have never been blessed if she would have just been sitting back and whining and complaining, sitting and crying. Why me? Why me? Why me? I mean, she probably did. 
But she got got up up enough and did some work, did what she needed to do. That's all she could do. And someone took notice. And then here, we're going to see this interesting story now take place in chapter 3, which we're going to look at. Because this is Ruth's surrender. Here's the turning point on now, Ruth does some things that allows her and her family to bounce back. And again, your decisions do what? Her decision, which was a risky one, a difficult one, she did it in faith. Her decision not only altered her destiny, but yours, your destiny too. It impacted your destiny. And so let's check it out. Let's look at the first one. We're going to look at chapter three, verses one through five. So Ruth went home. She was gleaming the fields, right? Provide, go out there working. And she was working at a dude's, at a, this guy named Boaz, okay? He had a farm. And Boaz was like, hey, is that that girl that everybody? Yeah, that's her. I was like, oh, bro, have you heard about? Yeah, I have. Talk of the town, okay? Talk of the town. And so Boaz goes, yo, you know what? Respect, respect. Go over, give her some extras, be good to her, man, because that's, she's something different. That's something different. So go be good to her. Ruth comes back to her mother-in-law. Yo, hey, hey, moms, guess what happened? And boom, this is what happened. Hey, this dude named Boaz. And, like, and she realized, like, oh, wait a minute. He is in the next of line. He's a kin. He's like, hey, he might be a kinsman redeemer that could help us, that can take us in. So then she comes up with this plan. It's going to sound weird, but it's in there, so check it out. Verse Chapter 3, we're going to look at Ruth, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And here, Naomi says this. Naomi says to her mother-in-law, I mean, sorry, Naomi, her mother-in-law says to her, Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Like, look, I want to look for what's best for you too. She says, is not Boaz a relative with uh, with those young women that you were with? See, look, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. The threshing floor is just a place where guys like this, if he's a landowner, so they would go, a threshing floor is a place where they would separate. You know, they got the harvest, but you had to separate the barley from the chaff and kind of, you know, get the goods and throw away the garbage, right? So he was going to be doing that at the threshing floor at a certain place that night. So back it up. Uh, threshing floor, where am I? Wash therefore. So now this is what she's telling um, Ruth to do. Wash up, take a shower, clean up. Therefore, anoint yourself. You'll put some perfume on. You know, the good stuff that we got over there, right? That one, you know, borrow your cousins. Maybe she might, right? And so, because they poor, so they probably didn't have it. Wash therefore, anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Uh, you'll put on that, that nice little outfit that, you know, so that, that right there, you know, the nice one. Put on that outfit, okay? Wash, therefore, put on the outfit, and, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Like, wait for him to be in a good mood, okay? Don't just spring it on him, okay? Just wait for him to be in a good mood, okay? Keep on going. Uh, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, okay? Now it's kind of getting a little creepy, okay? I was like, yo, but watch it where you go to sleep. I'm like, wait, what? What am I doing? Watch where he goes to sleep. And then uh, uh, he lies down, observe him, then go uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she said, all that you say, I will do. All right. If that would have me, I'm like, wait, what do you want me to do? What? Like, uh, look, when you read the whole bu- the book of Ruth, there's like an infatuation with feet. Okay. You're just going to see it, right? You're going to see it. You read the whole thing. There's an infatuation with feet. Some of y'all, some of y'all like feet. Some of y'all. Can't stand them. I don't know, right? It's just, I don't know if y'all got things for feet. I don't know. Some people, you know, like, oh, and if you like bumping into the like, little cow, like, don't touch me with the callus. No, no. I don't know if you like that. Some people like that. They're like, oh, no, no, don't, don't do that. Get them away. Socks on at all times. 
Not in my presence, okay? So they got an infatuation with feet, all right? And so, and this is, by the way, it, for us, we look at that, I'm like, man, that looks weird. What do you mean uncover his feet and lie down? Like just, you know, like, what is that? Listen, for us, unless you know the context, by the way, highly recommend, get yourself a study Bible. A study Bible is a Bible that gives little like pointers and context on the bottom and it helps to explain things like, hey, by the way, that's a cultural thing. Here's what that is. So you can actually get things out of weird sections. So I'm going to just do that for you right now. So this whole thing with feet, okay? They got a thing with feet. People in the Middle East got a thing with feet. You got to remember, anybody who was alive or remember when Saddam Hussein, right, they, they took him out and the statue came down. Everybody took their chanclas and their sandals and just started bop, 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 you know? right on the statue. Anybody remember that? Seen that? And they got that. And it, then President Bush, like somebody didn't like him. So he was in a conference call and they, I mean, dude, threw two sandals, right? I mean, and you see Bush was like, you know, dodge both of them. Okay. I mean, dodge both of them. Now, if that would have been, if that would have been a Hispanic bomb, he would have been down on the first one. Just, you know, they don't miss. Hispanics don't miss with the sandals. Locked. They have them. But whatever. So the people in the Middle East got a thing with feet. They just do. Okay. It's, and, but the thing is that with the feet, there's a thing of disrespect there. So for them to hit you in the face with a sandal is a sign of disrespect, but it also can mean a couple other things. This act of uncovering his feet was to get his attention. You're going to see right now the equivalent of her uncovering his feet and lying down is this. What happens if you see somebody in public, a couple, and one person does this? What do you think they're going to do? Propose or tie their shoe. Right? That, fellas, don't you dare. If you're dating your girl and you get down and you, knee, you look at your girl and be like, hold on one second. <laughs> you're going to be single the rest of your life, okay? You're going to be single the rest of your life. Don't play. Don't play with their emotions. So if you saw somebody get down on their knee, Okay, they're, they're trying to get the girl's attention, right? Can I get somebody's attention? That is what's happening. Got it? So that's the whole thing with the feet. She's like, look, Ruth is gun ho. She probably didn't understand this culture, this understanding, like, all right, moms, you uncovering his feet. Okay, whatever you say. Whatever you say, I'll do it. So this was Ruth's preparation. Ruth's preparation. She's getting ready to do something. Now let's look at Ruth's actual action. Let's see what she does. Verse 6. So Ruth went down, she got dressed, anointed, all that perfume, she good, she looking cute. She went down to the threshing floor, just, and did, just as her mother-in-law commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, dude was in a good mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. By the way, he slept there, usually people would do that to protect their stuff, so no one would come and steal it, so he's sleeping with the merchandise to make sure no one takes it. So guys fast asleep, Boaz enters drinks, uh, lies down, heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, just lay down and waited. At midnight, the man, star the man startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet, okay? And he says, who are you? Okay, so I mean, yo, the stories are funny. When you read this, I mean, could you imagine, right? Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are my redeemer, okay? Now, pause. Ain't nothing sexual going on right now. Just telling you right now, okay? So, because some people think and imply, like, no, there is nothing. This is not an invitation for a little midnight little rendezvous. 
at all. But so we see she did it, uncovered the dude's feet, and he was wide awake. Eventually, in the Middle East, he gets real cold that night. So dude got cold feet and woke up. So, and I don't know about you, I hate getting startled. I mean, y'all, you know what I'm saying? That you're startled in your sleep and you just like, you know, wake up. Like, that's never a good feeling. Whether it's a dream or something that had happened, you know, there was those two, one thing that happened 12 years ago and another thing that happened uh, 11 years ago, another thing that happened like four days ago for me and Alicia. Um, I'm more of a heavy sleeper than she is. So, I mean, it's just what it is. Okay? So she just, any little thing, just she wakes up, me, not so much. And so there was one time and we were, it was like first month of marriage and we were together. And I don't know if it was still my awkwardness of sharing a bed, I don't know, that I would just like, you know, just move. And I don't know if that was normal, but I would just move. I mean, again, I never slept with anybody before, so no one gave me commentary, okay? And so she would be like, bro, you keep on like, and we had a queen, so we were close together. So I'd be sleeping, and I would just be like, ah. you know, and like I would, I would like jab and move and, and like dig her in, the, ah, in a rib or, or, you know, the feet. And especially if my feet were, little, were, were dry, I know, ah, don't touch me with your feet, right? And so anyways, she's like that on that. And so, whatever, there was a time we were startled. I, I startled her, and I didn't even know it. And then she startled me. Like, we both were startled. And the thing was is apparently I was asleep, and I was, I was kind of agitated, and she was kind of used to it. She's like, what the heck? What's going on? And, and I don't know why. I don't remember doing this. All I know is that she was startled out of her sleep because I slapped the snot out of her. I didn't even know I did it. It was like a month in, and I'm just... <laughs> dead asleep. So she wakes up to that, like, just bow, like, <laughs> look, I was startled too. I was startled because I woke up on the floor. She kicked me. She kicked me right off. I flew and I landed. My face hit the floor. Just, bow. I'm like, what was that? And she looked at me with her mother hand praying right there. What was this? And I'm like, it's so I'm surprised she didn't divorce me right then and there. Props, though, she defended herself. Oh, my gosh. So she defended herself on that one because I, like, flew off that bed. So that happened a while ago, but this happened actually a couple days ago. And I don't know about you guys. Let's do a little experiment here, okay? Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. No peeking. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Okay, imagine you're dead asleep. It's quiet. It's dark. You know, you, got the, you hear the crickets. Out in the back. You feeling good. You deep in REM sleep, All right? And then, out of nowhere, you hear right outside your window. Okay, how many of you, what would you do? All right, let's put the lights up. You can open up your eyes. What would you do? What would your reaction be if you heard that sound? All right, can lights up, lights up. What would your reaction be? Look, this was weird. Instantaneously, we both woke up and we looked at each other. She sleeps on this side, I sleep on. And we both woke up and looked at each other like. <laughs> like we knew something was weird. And, I don't, and we both looked at, we, it was like vampires. It was awkward. And like we both went. <laughs> and we looked at each other like, what was that? And the thing is, I mean, she's so bold, man. I mean, she didn't even give me a chance to be the man. Like, no, let me see. What's on. Let me see. Let me see. She's like. What is that? I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on, wait a second. And I was like, she, she, you know, if something's gonna happen to you, I, I got a five second delay. Now, you know, something's gonna happen to you. Just chill, wait a second. So she brings the thing out, and there, right on the window, was a raccoon. Was looking inside the window. Scra 
like that and just be, and then she flings that open and there's a raccoon just. She's looking at him like, and she bam, bops the, 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 the thing and he goes, came back. He came back and I'm like, oh wait, hold on a second. Came back and then she just went, whatever, and took off, ran, hopped the fence, ran to the dark over in the, the conservation they have in the back, so whatever. Bring a raccoon, man. God, I couldn't go to sleep that day. So that was weird. Just, I mean, mm. so being awakened, awkward, is not a good feeling. So again, if you're trying to impress a dude, don't scare him, okay? I, I don't know. That's kind of what happened. The dude got all scared. I mean, who knows? I Me, mean, I liked when I go to bed, I like my feet tucked in, okay? I get the blanket, get them underneath, right? I get my feet all tucked in. I don't know if you, are you, are you the type of person? My wife's like this. She likes one foot tucked in and the other one like just sticking out, okay? <laughs> Who does that, right? I don't get it. Like, oh, nice and cozy, but just, just, just one little foot. Just one little foot just sticking out. You like that too? <laughs> okay, I don't get it. I don't get it. I like them all together. Together, tight, tucked in, like a little pig in, pigs in blanket. That's what I like. So this is what happens. Boaz wakes up. He's freaking out. He sees a girl at the foot, not a raccoon, just a girl just... Looking, and I'm like, who are you? Now, he remember, in the chapter two, he had met Ruth before. He heard about Ruth. And so it's dark. He probably didn't see what's going on. Who are you? And he was like, hey, it's me. It's Ruth. I was like, oh, okay. Calm down. Okay. It was weird. It was awkward. She did the whole thing. And then she made that statement. Spread your wing over me. Or in some translations, it says, spread the corners of your garment. Now, that act, the act of spreading the corners of your garment, spreading your wings, that is her asking him. Will you marry me? She is doing the proposing. The girl is proposing to the man in the story. And that's the scenario. Again, imagine you wake up out of deep sleep and someone's proposing to you. I'm like, what? Crazy story, crazy scenario. But that's what's going down. And she says, you are my redeemer. Meaning you are someone who could help me. You can save me. A redeemer, we all know, it. We, we've all redeemed stuff. You know what it is? When you got a coupon, right? Hey, go redeem this for a prize. Go redeem this for, you know what that is? You take it, you exchange it, you get something good, right? Whatever it is. So she says, you're this guy. So now that was Ruth's preparation interaction. Now let's see Boaz's reaction to all this. Okay, verse 10. Now he responds to this marriage proposal. He says this. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He is flattered because by now Boaz is a little older. He's on the older scale. And out of all the fellas that Ruth can go after, there's something about Boaz that actually, because Boaz was nice to her. There was something there, okay? So she noticed something about his character. By the way, you want to land yourself somebody good? Don't, don't, don't worry so much about the outside. Yo, don't neglect the inside, okay? So if you're trying to find somebody, you, you know, everybody be looking good on the outside, but you ugly as can be on the inside, okay? You need both, okay? Look, get your, get your act together on the inside and take showers and you're straight and you'll be fine, okay? Just do that. Just do that. So she goes, hey, I'm, this is kind. I'm like, wow, you, he's flattered. You want, a, you want me to marry you? Out of all of the people, you want me to marry you? And now verse 11. And now he tells her, look, my daughter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because, again, if he refuses, if no one redeemed her, she was afraid of what her future would be. Lonely, destitute. So he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know. Look at this, that you are a worthy woman. Your reputation is throughout town and everybody knows 
you're a worthy woman. You are a person of honor, of respect, integrity. Remember again, not a virgin. So if you, not a virgin, no one wanted you. But there was something about her character, her nature, who she was. That, you know what? I can overlook that. She's special. She's special. A worthy woman. In verse 12, and now he says, and now it is true that I am your redeemer. I, I am a redeemer. Yet there is another redeemer nearer than I. Meaning, look, there's actually somebody in front of me that technically he has to, you know, he's the one according to the law. He says, remain here tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until morning. Now, again, not a, not a sexual proposal. He's just saying, look, it's dark. That way she didn't got to be running out in the middle of the night. It was just a way of keeping her safe. And, and that way she didn't look weird. Like, yo, you know, the girl will be leaving Boaz over on the threshing floor in the middle of the night. What's going on here? You know? Again, she was a worthy woman. So there was nothing about her that was bad, you know, good character. In fact, verse, uh, and then he actually says, hey, you know what? Give me your, spread your garment out. And he gave her all this extra barley. So when she, eventually in the morning she went home, she didn't leave empty-handed, okay? She was given almost like a deposit, like a security, look, you know, here you go. You're not going to leave empty-handed. You got enough food for you and your moms to last you for a little bit. And that was verse, that was chapter three. Now, chapter four is her salvation. This was her Ruth's surrender. Now, this is Ruth's salvation. The guy who was the rightful heir was willing to claim the land, which, by the way, that was a perk. Like, if you took a wife like that, not only did you get the wife, you got the land. You got the property of the dude. And the guy was like, yo, I'll take the property, but look, I, I got enough with just one woman. I don't, know about, I don't know about another one. I'll take the lamb, but I don't want to take the girl. So he surrenders his right. Again, takes a sandal off, throws it. Again, it's again, a, thing, a thing with feet. Okay, it's a thing with feet. It's, it's how they did transactions and stuff like that. So Boaz was like, oh, the dude wasn't willing. He didn't want to. Boaz stepped up, married Ruth. Ruth then became part of the family. And then at the end of Ruth, I'm just going to read it to you. Check this out. Look how her story ends. Again, just... What happened to Orpah? Nothing. We don't know. Her decision to be, to keep the easy road led to her destiny. We don't know what happened, but uh, we ain't, we're only talking about 2,000 years later, the opportunity she missed versus Ruth's. Look how Ruth's story ends up. Now, these are the generations of Perez, which was Tamar's son. For you, We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, which was the husband to uh, Rahab, which we talked about last week. Uh, Salmon fathered Boaz. So Rahab is Boaz's mom. Okay. So Rahab and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz, with Ruth, fathered a dude named Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David, who would be the king. So here, she went from a poor woman to now in the lineage of royalty. And not only that, but Jesus, she was named as one of Jesus' ancestors. She's a part of the lineage of Jesus. And so it's so cool to see her story in there because what's amazing about that is that, again, in her desperation, she was desperate. And she went and called and asked Boaz to be her redeemer, and he did. Listen, it works the same with us. When we realize our desperation, when we realize our need, when we realize our condition, and when we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you save me? Jesus, can you redeem me? He accepts us and makes us a part of the family of God, just like Ruth. That's Ruth's story. That's our story. 
That's our story. And again, you can see that the decisions determine your destiny. Her decision to operate in faith and in courage and, and all those things and in honor because she was a person of integrity, a worthy woman. Listen, you can't develop that reputation overnight. That takes decision after decision, day in, day out, day in, day out to build a reputation. You know what a reputation is? It's part of you who repeats itself. You catch me with that? A reputation is something of who you are that repeats itself. That's your normal setting. That's your default. That doesn't happen overnight. And so those decisions led to her destiny like that. And it not only impacted hers, but it was a model for the nation of Israel. It was, it was her story was to say to Israel, hey, you guys are in a dark, difficult situation. You guys are in a dark, difficult situation. But I, he, the, point, the point of uh, the story was to show them that God is both, just as Boaz was willing and able to redeem this poor woman. It was, listen, God is able to redeem you, poor Israel, from your poor condition. And in the same way, the story is today, God is willing and able to redeem us regardless of our condition. No matter where we are, God will take us in and accept us. And so I, I've, been, uh, I've been doing this, and I don't, don't want to read this off to you guys. I think it's so cool because it, I want you also a way of reading the Bible. I want you to see Jesus in places that you probably never did before. So in Ruth and Jesus, we see that our decisions will determine our destiny, and it impacts the destiny of others. Check this out. Ruth refused to abandon her mother-in-law, Naomi. Jesus refuses to abandon his people. Okay, Ruth obeyed her mother's instructions and was rescued from her situation. Jesus obeyed his father's instructions so that we can be rescued from our sin. Ruth was a worthy woman and wife, yet Jesus is a worthy savior and friend. Jesus, I'm sorry, Ruth served her mother-in-law with her life and was saved. Jesus serves humanity. He served humanity by sacrificing his life so that all can be saved. Ruth came to Boaz and didn't leave empty-handed. You guys remember that? Ruth came to Boaz, didn't leave empty-handed. Jesus comes to us so that we are no longer left empty. Ruth declared, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and Jesus declares to us today, I will be your God and you will be my people. At the foot of the bed, Ruth proposed to Boaz, inviting him to accept her as her savior. At the foot of the cross, Jesus proposes to us, inviting us to accept him as our savior. Ruth, remember this, Ruth looked at Boaz and said, you are my redeemer. Yet Jesus looks to us and says, I am your redeemer. I am the one. I am both willing and able, regardless of your conditions, regardless of what has happened, regardless of what you've done, regardless if you've been trying to bounce back and you can't make it back, I'm the one who can do that. I'm the one who can help you. I'm the one who can bring you all the way in a place that you can't do. And so, guys, we got to learn from Ruth because Ruth did this. Before God can do that, she had to come to Boaz and call on his name. Listen, God does that in our lives when we go to Jesus and call on his name. When we are willing to come to the Lord and surrender, because that's what Ruth did, and said, will you, will you take me? Will you take all of this, all of me? She didn't have nothing to offer the guy. No money, no this, no that. She didn't have much. But he was like, no, but there's something about you that's worthy. And we look to Jesus and see, Jesus, I'm not sure if I got much. But he looks to us and says, no, but you're worth it. You're worth it. And I, I know you got in that. Okay, I, I know that happened or this happened to you. Circumstances, 
you know, things in life have taken a turn for the worse and you don't know how you're going to deal with this relationship that broke up or, or this loss of a job or this loss of a loved one or, or your family is, is not right. And I, I know, but, but I am enough. I can help you in and bring and carry you the rest of the way. I am your redeemer. God can do that when we go to him and call on his name. But then after that, after that, there's something that we all need to do. Here's the application. I want you all to get this. Ready? Again, the bottom line, your decisions determine your destiny. Here's a decision that you all need to learn how to do. This is something that God calls all believers to do. And it's this, to love those who are not like you and serve those who surround you. God's waiting on you. If you go to God and call on his name, he'll save you. But then after that, you will be like, all right, God, good talk. That's great. Thank you. All right. Uh, heaven, right? You're going to come back and get me? All right, cool. Just let me know, right? Give me, give me a holler. Give me a ring. Send me a text, okay? Just so you know when you come inside and get my act together, I'll be, ready, I'll be ready for you, right? Listen, no, there's something that we need to also do, and it's this. God calls us to love those who are not like us and serve those who surround us. You know what? That's what Ruth did. Ruth was not a Jew. She was willing to love someone who was not like her, who didn't worship like her, who probably didn't look like her, who didn't do things like her, who had different customs that were not like hers. She was willing to decide to love someone who was not like her. And she was willing to serve those who surrounded her. It was just that one woman. It was just that. Listen, I know maybe you be out here looking at them like, man, God, I want to do something big. I want to do something big. And God's like, you can barely handle the little I gave you, man. Just get your act together real quick on that. Do that. Serve here. Everybody wants the big and the flashy. No one wants the behind the scenes. But that's where you develop that character of who you are when no one's watching and all that stuff. And so it's, if you want the big stuff, you got to be willing for to take the little. But that's what Ruth did. Ruth loved someone who was not like her, was willing to serve those who also, whoever surrounded her. And listen, that is God's call for our lives. As a church, I'm telling you now, for those, especially if you're new, this is, you know, you showed up at a good time, okay? Because I'm telling you, that's our heart. We want to be a church who does that, who's willing to love those who are not like us. Look, I mean, for 30 plus years, we have been a Hispanic congregation, but obviously you can tell Noah's toy hablando espanol, okay? I'm speaking, I'm speaking a different language for a reason, because we are trying to be not just a church of some people. We want to be a church of all people, for all people, to make sure that we, that's what we want to do. Because that's what God's family looks like. You read at the back of the book, what does God's family look like? What's heaven going to look like? A bunch of people who don't look like each other. What is heaven going to look like? A big family of a bunch of people who don't look like each other, but loving each other. And loving God and being loved by God. And the love of God is what does it. Listen, for us, we are called to love those who are not like us, who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't talk like us, who don't share the same things like us. It's hard. It's difficult. But that's what Jesus does. Jesus loves people who are not like him. He's holy. We're not. But he loves those who are not like him. In fact, we're even called to love those who don't even like us. You good on that one? You're even called to love those people who don't even like you. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. And serve those who surround us. That we are drawing 
bigger circles every single time to say, oh, wait a minute, no, you too. God can do that with you too. God can do that with you too. God can do that with you too. That's what we want to be. In fact, if you missed it, there is a blue table out in the back. Oh, over there, you'll see it. You can't miss it on your way out. And there's a bunch of cards there, and we put them there for a reason. Because uh, we had a lot of, not only from your generosity, from what you were able to do, we were able to, for the school across the street, Esri, we were able to provide some uh, breakfast for the pair. We had uh, free coffee, work with the Starbucks down the street, provided free coffee for parents and for the kids. Well, not for the kids, coffee for kids, no. You know, the parents of the kids, the teachers, their first day, we provided some breakfast for them, first day also. And, you know, we wanted them, and we also uh, actually donated furniture for the teacher's lounge, because it was looking all raggedy and whatnot. So we kind of, so they showed up to brand new furniture, to food and being welcomed in front. And so they were loving it. And they was all for, that was your generosity. Not only that, we had a lot of kids. Hey, anybody here, the teenagers who helped serve that day? Anybody here? Raise your hand. You went out, you, we were working outside, okay? Listen. We had, we had about 15, 16 teenagers go out there and do manual labor, which enough is proof that Jesus exists, Okay. They put their phone downs for a little bit, okay? They, they played with it sometimes. And they put their hands in the dirt, pulled in weeds, doing that. Our parents are like, oh, wait, they can do what now? Okay, I guess what we're doing when we go home, okay? Uh, and so they did that. I mean, made it super nice. We saved a lot of work from them. It was hilarious because the majority of them showed up. We heard, hey, we're going to volunteer. But they showed up with, like, cute little outfits and stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? And I was like, I said, we're working outside. I was like, I just thought we were going to come and pray. I was like, no, put your hands in the dirt. <laughs> Let's go, get to work. And so it was funny. But listen, that school, the teachers, they, that table is full of thank you cards. Now, I know a lot of it says my name because it's, I was the contact, but it's a thank you to all of you guys. And see, that was us. We're going to love people across the street. Love those, serve those who surround us. And we can see, and why do we do that? Because the more we show people, the more we do good, we show others how good God is. That's why. It's not so we can feel better about ourselves. It's so hopefully we are getting people's attention enough to show them, hey, there's a better way out there to live. There's a better God out there. There's a better option out there. It's not about us. It's about him. And there's a big bunch of tables out there. There's a bunch of things out there I want y'all to check out. So that's super cool. So thank y'all here. Thank everybody else. That was awesome that you guys made a mark on there. Read them. They were like, yo, we're so appreciative that we have neighbors like you. I love that card. That's what it's about. Loving those who are not like us, serving those who surround us. Listen, when we are willing to make that decision, it determines your destiny, but it also can alter the destiny of others. And you never know. You'll never know what that impact is. Ruth did not know that her decisions that day to uncover some dude's feet, as awkward as that was, we would be talking about her almost 3,000 years later, and looking at her as a model, as an example of faith and courage. She did not know. Her life determined your destiny because it was through her that we got Jesus. And listen, Jesus, Jesus' decision determined your destiny too. Jesus decided to die so you can learn to live. Jesus decided to die so you can learn to live, altering your destiny forever. And if Jesus can love those who are not like him, then we can do the same through him.